Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, July 21st, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. This week marks the 151st Open Championship, otherwise known as the British Open to some, one of the four major golf tournaments each year being held at Royal Liverpool. We mention this not only because it is fun to watch, but later in the podcast we'll talk with George on the connection to a common investor behavior known as prospect theory. So stay tuned. With me today, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or you need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, we have a few reports to share. First, we have overall retail sales, which came in for June at 0.2% increase, which is positive that it was an increase. However, it was down from May, which shows a little bit of slowing in the overall consumer. However, May was actually revised up from 0.3% to 0.5%, so a little bit of a mixed signal. We'll have to look at this on an ongoing basis. Second, overall industrial production in the United States showed slowing with a response from June's numbers being down negative 0.5%, which is the second month in a row if you add in May, which was also down negative 0.5%, which was revised from negative 0.2%. So we're certainly seeing slowing on the manufacturing and industrial production side of the economy. Also existing home sales slipped for June down 3.3% overall. And this number is down 18.9% from one year ago. Also, weekly initial unemployment claims remain steady for the week. And finally, for the week, some of the U.S. leading economic indicators fell for the month of June, which has been a consistent pattern as we see some slowing in the overall U.S. economy. So with that, let's turn to Steve and get his observations on what's happening in the stock market this week, as well as whether some of the economic data we just talked about will influence his outlook for the remainder of the year. Steve? Brian, it's been an interesting week in the markets this week. I mean, see us starting to get into earnings season, although really next week is the, 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 the real big chunks start to come. We've got almost 40% of the S&P 500 reporting next week. And I'll talk a little bit about how earnings season is going so far in a, a minute. But first on the markets, you know, S&P 500 continues to power higher. We've made another new high for this this recent leg uh, during the week this week, although we have started to see some performance divergence with within the S&P 500. Namely, what's been really interesting is that we've seen performance start to broaden out. We've been talking for uh, probably the better part of the first part of this year about how we really wanted to see performance start to broaden out. Um, and, and we've really started to see that here in the, in, in the recent weeks. Um, and you can tell by looking at the NASDAQ 100 index. The NASDAQ 100 index really is concentrated in the mega cap tech names. It's about 50% weighted in the mega cap techs as opposed to the S&P 500, which is about 
Um, and you can see the NASDAQ 100 has pulled back materially this week as we've had a couple of the large components there uh, report earnings that have been disappointing and, and have multiple percentage days to the downside. Um, contrast that with the S&P 500, which is still within spitting distance of the high that it made this week. So yeah, I think that what we've seen is we're starting to see some uh, rotation away from mega cap tech and into some of these more cyclical elements within the, the market, whether it's industrials um, or, or whether it's uh, things like consumer discretionary, uh, we, we've started to see this rotation, and, and I would describe it as a healthy rotation uh, because it seems like uh, investors are starting to embrace the idea of a soft landing. Um, it may not just be narrative anymore. It, 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 it may be starting to be reality for people um, and move away from this recession thoughts uh, that, that people have had for the first half of the year. Now, when you look at earnings, um, earnings have come in uh, in in line with expectations for the most part. I mean, we've seen EPS uh, declining minus 7%. We've seen our revenues, I mean, minus 7%, uh, EPS declining 7.4%. Um, those are roughly in line with expectations so far. Um, when you take a look at some of the more interesting tidbits within the earnings report though, I think the thing that I've seen so far that's been the most interesting is that globally oriented S&P 500 companies are experiencing a greater decline in EPS growth than their more domestically oriented peers. We've seen globally oriented S&P 500 companies posting earnings growth of minus 9.5% versus minus 6.9% for domestically focused companies. So really what that's pointing to is this idea that the, the dollar weakness uh, that we've seen during the first half of this year is starting to impact the internationally, uh, internationally focused uh, S&P 500 components. It's really not enough to, to, to cause us any concern in terms of overall earnings growth, but it's something interesting under the hood when you look at, you know, where is your market leadership coming from? Um, it, it's it's time to look at, at more domestically oriented companies in terms of potential for, for earnings growth than it is to be looking at international names now. Well, great, Steve. Thanks for the update. And let's switch into Rajiv. Uh, welcome back from PTO. Rajiv, what are your thoughts on the bond market this week? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the bond market, you know, we, all eyes are on the Fed next week. I mean, uh, I think the unanimous uh, consensus is that uh, the Fed will move next week for 25 basis points, raising rates 25 basis points in this July meeting. Uh, it's going to be very important to see what the, the Fed has to say after the statement. Uh, the press conference is going to be very important for Fed Chair Powell to kind of uh, use his comments to kind of, uh, you know, describe what he thinks about the future of the of the rate hiking cycle. Um, based on last uh, last week's uh, CPI print, market participants really do believe that uh, this might be it. This might be the last time that they have to raise rates and then we'll have a pause. Uh, if Fed Chair Powell deviates from that expectation, then you could see some market volatility. But, you know, that CPI print came out um, and I think uh, many market participants thought that uh, it's going in the right direction. Inflation's coming down. That will give the Fed a good opportunity to kind of say, okay, 25 basis points and we're done. Now, why do we think there's going to be 25 basis points next week? We read the Fed uh, Fed minutes from the uh, June meeting. And in those minutes, uh, you did see some participants, some Fed members say that they wanted to have uh, a rate hike uh, last month. And uh, then they decided to go with a pause. 
So again, it's going to be important to see if this is a unanimous decision next week, 25 basis points. I think it will be. The question really is going to be is, do they signal if they're going to raise rates later on in the year or not? There may be some Fed members who feel that we need to do more rate hikes. Um, I think that it's going to be very important for Fed Chair Powell to measure his comments. Unlike the last meeting when he had his press conference, when they were talking about two more hikes this year, it's going to be very important for the uh, Fed to come out and kind of you know, measure their statements. We'll see if they do that or not. Now, the impact on the yield curve that we've seen throughout the week uh, has been pretty uh, pretty significant. We did see the two-year uh, move, um, in especially front-end yields move. We saw the jobless claims number come out yesterday, and we saw the two, two-year move higher. Uh, we all know that the two-year Treasury note uh, is very, very sensitive to Fed and mon monetary policy. And if we see that uh, anything like a strong jobs report that kind of puts the Fed back in play again. So you're going to see movement uh, until we get some kind of stability. And uh, obviously, the Fed is looking at the uh, unemployment numbers, but also the inflation numbers. The economy is strong. So does the Fed think that we're strong enough to continue to the rate hiking cycle? And that's what we're seeing in, these, uh, in, in the uh, yields in the front end. So we saw the front end yields move quite a bit. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the two tens curve remains inverted. Uh, we were around 100 basis points. But one thing that's very important to note is when the two-year moved higher based on the jobless claims number yesterday, we did see investors step in. And I think investors are waiting on the sideline to find opportunities for higher yields in the front end and then play in that in that space. So right now, the two-tenths curve is inverted to around 100 basis points. Investors are looking at the testing point or the resistance points of 111 basis points, which which was the cycle low and they may start jumping in again in the front end. So investors are ready to play in the fixed income market. And I think it's, it's, it's because of the yield that they're, that they're getting for, for playing in the this, in this space. And I really do feel that uh, yields right now have been very attractive, especially in the front end. Our policy continues to be high quality names. And uh, if we extrapolate all this to credit spreads, they've been very, very stable, very resilient through all of this. Even through the Fed, Fed uh, rate hiking cycle, credit spreads have been very resilient, both investment grade and high yield. If you look at investment grade spreads, we have, we're around 123 basis points over U.S. Treasuries. There is nothing in high yield or investment grade right now that is signaling alarm bells for a recession. So maybe we do have that soft landing that Steve spoke about. Maybe this time is different. Maybe the two tens curve uh, that has predicted recessions in the past uh, pretty consistently Maybe this time uh, it won't happen, but you can't take recession off the table yet. And I think that uh, our, our stance about high quality and being resilient in uh, liquidity name, liquidity uh, sectors and, and asset classes remains uh, very sound. I think it's very important right now to remain high quality in anticipation of any downturn, any economic downturn that we see in the market. Rajiv, and maybe Steve, you might have thought of this too. I'm kind of curious to know your thoughts if the Fed is at all concerned about the stock market. Meaning, you know, we, we, as Steve noted, we've seen this broadening now. We've seen a really pretty impressive rally, uh, particularly in some of the higher flying names, higher beta stocks. Um, you know, and to what extent do you think the Fed Reserve is thinking that there may be this kind of um, kind of resurgence almost, or maybe another leg up in the whole spending narrative where, you know, you've seen this kind of extended narrative around the recessions right around the corner, but no, it's not. And now it gets pushed out further. So is the Fed at all thinking or maybe concerned about maybe a perceived wealth effect, which could 
prolong the business cycle and maybe even kind of ratchet inflation up sometime later this year? Well, I would say that the Fed, uh, you know, in the past, the Fed has always been agnostic to whatever Mark is doing, at least that's their stance. But I can't believe that they're not, they're not looking at it. Every time you see risk assets start to rally, you do see Fed members come out and kind of, you know, use their narrative to kind of uh, bring the market back. This time it hasn't happened. Um, I think uh, with the, the labor market being so strong, the Fed continues to, to point to that direction and say that the labor market's strong. What we're doing as far as rate hiking cycle, what we're doing as far as rates uh, should not be an impact because the economy is strong. Um, I do think the rally that we've seen in risk assets is something that the Fed should be paying attention to because you will see that uh, there are a lot of uh, market participants that are, are are really betting on a soft landing now. I mean, if you look at credit spreads, and I know Steve can talk about equities, but if you look at credit spreads, um, these spreads are exactly, you know, predicting that there won't be a recession. There'll be a soft landing. Anything that changes that, uh, you could see these spreads blow up pretty quickly. And I think the Fed needs to keep a, an eye on that as well. And George, I think that the market has been uh, has been ahead of the of, of the Fed so far this year, because if you think about it, the market's really been focused on the growth narrative, not focused on the inflation narrative. Um, the, it, it kind of smelled out really early that the inflation numbers were going to be coming down. And, it, and if you look at the innards of the inflation numbers, you know, shelter is the biggest driver of it. Um, shelter, actually, the shelter component can be forecasted forward with pretty good accuracy. And if you take a look at what the shelter component implies over the next three to six months, you're looking at 2% inflation, right? So, you know, when you think about the, the Fed being, you know, focused like a laser beam on the inflation narrative, that really is um, is going to be something that that they're not going to have to think about come October and November. And if that's the case, then maybe we do have this soft landing narrative because they're not going to have to be uh, ag aggressive from here. And if that's the case, the market can really focus on the idea that there's better maybe a growth inflection. So you know, I tend to to try to look at this through an optimistic lens as opposed to the pessimistic one. And and I, I see. Um, I see good things right now, not not negative things. Well, thanks for those additional perspectives, Rajiv and Steve. And as our final conversation today, I mentioned in my opening remarks the connection to golf and the investor behavior known as prospect theory. It's easy to understand how investors can be overly aggressive, but can they also be overly conservative? George, what is prospect theory and how does it relate to golf? Well, I guess you could kind of extend it to a lot of things, Brian, but prospects theory generally kind of suggests that people often actually derive twice as much regret at the prospect of losing something versus actually gaining something. So there's this kind of, I guess, interesting segment or, or um, component of economics known as behavioral economics, which kind of refers to actually how people actually behave. You know, there's often times that we think that economists are there to try and figure out how the, the economy should work. Um, but they kind of make the assumption that people are rational and they're not, I guess, is the, the quick uh, quick summary there. But prospect theory has been you know, a really key development to kind of understand how people think about risk, how they think about um, golf, as you mentioned, how they think about um, investing too. And again, you could extend it to a lot of other places. And I'll give you kind of one little story, I guess, how this kind of works is that, you know, say, Brian, I, I give you, I, I offer to give you $100 uh, and you can just put it in your pocket. I can give you um, $100 today, uh, right now, or let's play a game and you can flip a coin 
and I'll say, if you pick heads and it's heads, I'll give you $300. But if it's tails, you lose. So you've got pretty much a 50-50 chance of making $150 if you take the coin flip versus $100 um, kind of in your pocket. Most people would just <clears throat> take the, the sure thing, take the $100, even though their odds are probably even more favorable that they would walk away with $150 based on the coin flip. So they're almost irrational about how they make a simple bet like that. In other words, I think people prefer certainty over the risk of actually earning more uh, and taking on a bit of uncertainty. So, you know, I think there's a lot of derivations around prospect theory. You know, there's often the notion that people um, take profits prematurely sometimes. Sometimes they actually take, um, they, they kind of tend to have a tendency to hold on to investment that's underwater for too long, hoping that it comes back. You know, there's all kinds of things we can kind of learn from this, but I think the, the key takeaway <clears throat> is that we all have biases when we think about uh, investing. And I've always been fascinated by the fact that people approach investing kind of differently than almost any other purchase they make. You know, if you, for example, if you're in the market for looking for a new car, for example, um, maybe you're out with your spouse and you're shopping around and you find a car you like and it's $20,000. You think about it, you think about it the weekend, the very next day, the dealer calls back and says, you know what, I'll offer you the same car for $19,000. I'll knock $1,000 off because you're a great guy, Brian. I really like doing business for you. Uh, and you probably take that so that the car is on sale. You're more likely to kind of trigger uh, some kind of action and maybe make a, make a purchase. Conversely, in the investment world, it seems like whenever you have an investment and it goes down in price, you feel worse. And you're maybe your tendency is to maybe sell that investment because it's already gone down. Makes no sense to me. So, you know, I think we have these biases. I think the important thing from the investment perspective is we have to recognize we have these. We have to acknowledge them. And sometimes we can do things to try to overcome them or at least mitigate them such as working with an advisor. And I think one kind of sure way that we kind of think about this in our work is to really document and really kind of specify up front how much risk we're willing to take. Thanks, George. And I know you recently wrote an article where you compared that prospect theory to golf with Tiger Woods. Any quick comments on that before we close? Well, you know, Tiger is interesting. I mean, in many respects, I mean, he's probably the most celebrated athlete of, of all time, little of his, uh, his his accomplishments on the golf course. But I think the reason I think we kind of draw that, that parallel uh, with, with, uh, with investing in golf is that he, he said something back in 2007, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, he played a golf course uh, that's actually being featured again today uh, that's kind of known for its unique style of play. And I won't kind of give away the story, but what essentially he said was he himself is kind of willing to kind of settle for a par, or just kind of a, a, an even score. Um, and he actually kind of feels even worse to give a par and almost kind of take a little bit more risk to try and get a birdie or one under par. So again, I think there alone kind of suggests that all of us in our lives, where, however we're applying our, our craft or our trade or our own uh, resources, is that again, the tendency is to probably be somewhat too conservative, as you mentioned, uh, and kind of having a sure thing, kind of again, that notion that we prefer certainty over uncertainty is apparent all the time. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen, Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. 
Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by KeyBank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and KeyBank Institutional Advisors are part of KeyBank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.